Hi, I'm Keith, Manager of Organizational and Spiritual Life with Christian Horizons. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Renew, Caring for You as You Care for Others. We've come most of the way through the course so far. We've talked about the hazards of care, job, career, or calling. We've explored burnout and compassion fatigue. And for the last few episodes, we've been talking about self-care, the art of resilience. What does it look like to practice self-care in terms of how we see the world and how we come to know ourselves? In these last two episodes, we'll look at what it means to relate to each other in communication, compassion, and connection, or celebration. As always, I encourage you to leave a review on iTunes if you like the podcast or wherever you find this podcast. Welcome to visit the site at www.christian-horizons.org renew. There's handouts there as well as supplementary resources, especially today there'll be some diagrams that I think will be helpful. And you're welcome to connect with me directly through email ministry at christian-horizons.org. It might almost feel like I'm cheating in these final two episodes, teaching on relating to others as part of self-care or the art of resilience. It's it's self-care, but it's more than that. It's it's also community care, which is so essential for us. And in a way, it's not really cheating because each of us comes to be or comes to be who we are because of so many others that have poured into our life. And so it is self-care in a way, but it's kind of a, a paradox that we can't truly be ourselves or take care of ourselves without the the love and care and compassion and concern and celebration, as we're going to talk about, of others. Other people make us who we are. They form who we are. We depend on each other, and we're sustained by each other. So it's pretty hard to find a practice of resilience in our life if we don't have other people around us to support us and encourage us and to keep us going. Now, I'm not a neuroscientist. My PhD is in theology, so it bears little weight here. But there is a a fascinating kind of connection with some of the chemicals, the, the hormones or neurotransmitters that make us happy and their connection with self-care. So there, there are certain ways we can almost hack these chemicals and make them work for us. And there's a few of them. So uh, dopamine, serotonin, uh, endorphin. These are um, known as a reward chemical, mood stabilizer, and painkillers, uh, respectively. Uh, there, there are a few different things we can do to promote those kinds of chemicals in our bodies. So, for instance, completing a task gives us a dose of dopamine, this kind of reward chemical that we have. Uh, self-care activities really help with that, too. Um, things like meditating or running, those are going to give us serotonin, a mood stabilizer, that will really help out as well. Going for a walk in nature, and some of these things we've talked about before, just as the practices of self-care. For endorphins, we might uh, watch a comedy or uh, eat chocolate, eat dark chocolate, and exercising gives us endorphins as well. But there's another one, uh, oxytocin, which is the the love hormone. You could you could think of it that way. And this is a, a hormone or a, a chemical that comes about when we're in connection with others. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a human other. That could be our, our pets, but just as we're holding hands or, or hugging a loved one, 
giving a compliment to someone else. These, these kind of relational activities are going to give us this, uh, this hormone that we can't get any other way. And so even as you're thinking of the, the chemical balances and the, the, the composition of who we are in practices of resilience, there's some things for sure that we can, we can practice excellent self-care and then um, help these happiness chemicals to flow through our bodies and give us, give us strength. But there are some things that only come about through relational activities. And so even based on what I understand of the science of it, we need these relational activities as well to keep us going. So we're going to spend some time on communication today. Now, some of us might have um, speech impediments or uh, communication disabilities that, that make it difficult to communicate just in a very practical way. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to explore those too much today. I recognize that those can be a challenge uh, for many of us as we're communicating with others and, and figuring out how to work through and navigate those, those difficulties. But we're going to spend some time more on the conflict aspect of communication. When communication is going great, then yeah, I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty solid. We, we've got that figured out, we feel like. But when conflict arises, that's when we um, start feeling fear. We start maybe backing away or maybe we start going towards another and become almost um, aggressive in terms of how we, how we confront other people. And these are the, the problem areas that can really do damage to a relationship if we don't handle them well. So I want to spend some time talking about that. We know that these relational activities and this process of communication is so life-giving to us on the best of days, but conflict in the workplace or at home are often the aspects of life that wear us down the most. They wear down our resilience the most. When I asked earlier in an earlier episode what it was that gets in the way of sustaining our care, for many of us, it might be those those teammates. It might be um, other people in our workplace. It might be other people in our family. Those aspects of conflict that, that become so problematic and difficult. But we really do need to change our whole perspective on conflict. I don't know whether you have a kind of fight or flight response in conflict scenarios, but many of us fear conflict. It's something that we are apprehensive about, we don't feel competent, we don't feel comfortable in. And that's all that's all fine and good. You don't you don't need to feel comfortable in conflict to change your perspective on it. I think what we need to do is we need to recognize that within conflict there are opportunities to get to know each other better. Albert Einstein is reported to have these these three rules of work. It says out of clutter find simplicity. From discord, find harmony. In the middle of difficulty, lives opportunity. We can see that on a number of different levels, but I think it, it shows itself here too in our relationships. In the middle of difficulty, there is opportunity to find out more about each other in a, in a new way that maybe we didn't encounter before. So let's change our perspective on conflict and start viewing it, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if we maybe still have some apprehension around it, at least let's start looking for the opportunity there to grow deeper in our relationship with others and not only the potential for it to tear people apart. I know in my own experience, 
generally um, with a combination of truth-telling, honesty, radical responsibility. We're going to talk a bit about that. And just humility. Conflict tends to result in better relationships after you've gone through them than even you had before. So first step in our approach to conflict is to, to not be afraid of it. Rather than it being a source of fear, when we maybe brush up against somebody else, or we butt heads with somebody else, rather than it being a source of fear, let's get curious about it. Um, we can be tempted to very quickly judge what's going on. And we often do so with a profound lack of information about what the other person is thinking or what's going on. And so we, we judge where the other person is coming from. We maybe look at them as as having a negative intent. We look at them as out to get us. Rather than seeing it from a posture of curiosity where we wonder, okay, well, what led to the situation? What are the things that that made this come about? And so not being afraid of conflict is that first step. And then it can be really helpful to know a few conflict resolution techniques or models. I'll share one with you here today, but I really do encourage you to look into opportunities to learn more about this. We could talk all day about different conflict models and how they can help us in our work and our home life. And that's really the beautiful thing about it is that because we are sustained in relationship with other people, because so much of caregiving work involves other people, as we learn conflict resolution techniques, as we learn not to be afraid of conflict, but to see it as opportunity, that's going to have a profound and really meaningful impact on our relationships, both in the caregiving role, whether that's at work or personal, and with our family and friends as well. It has ripple effects across all of our relationships. Finally, we want to challenge our own assumptions about what conflict is, or about particular situations and what led to them. The model I want to share with you today is called the Intent, Action, and Effect model. It's going to be difficult to describe. I really encourage you to look at the notes online at www.christian-horizons.org. So if you can picture this in your head, on on the left-hand side, I want you to imagine this is everything that comes out into the public. These are These are actions, these are... Um, maybe visible things. These might be things that are said. Um, the type of thing that could be talked about as, as kind of a fact, that a shared experience, if you will. Now, on the right-hand side, you have everything that's private or hidden to the participants. And so you have you have two people there involved in any action or any event. You have the person who does the action, and then you have their intent so while the action might be visible, might be something that they said or did that, that led to this conflict scenario, the intent behind it is generally pretty well hidden. Why was it that they did that thing that they did? Similarly, while the action might be visible or public, the effect that it has on the other person is generally pretty well hidden as well unless there's kind of a prompt follow-up conversation to talk about why the one person did that action, the other person, um, and how the other person received that action, those participants are kind of going to be left to make up 
what that um, what that intent was or what that effect was for themselves. Now this this making up process, this making up um, the reason or the rationale, if you will, or the effect of the action, that's we refer to that as meaning making. Often this just goes on behind the scenes and isn't really a big deal that there might be um, a fairly obvious intent or reason why somebody does something or it might not lead to a conflict in, in which case we just carry on and maybe we don't even need to kind of figure out what the intent or the, the effect is of that action. But I find this model is quite helpful because it reminds us of all of the different things that go on behind the scenes. Not only do you have the intent of the action and the effect of the action, but each person brings their own backstory to that situation. It might be um, how they grew up and that kind of communication patterns or the family dynamics that were in place when they were young. It might be previous encounters with this person that have led to this backstory that's going to affect how they perceive the situation. So again, I encourage you to check out this, this model uh, in the notes that are online. But I'll do what I can with it for now. So for instance, uh, and this is going to be a fairly generic example, but the other day I had um, an interaction with a coworker, and I wasn't sure if I was uh, being misunderstood, maybe perceived in a, in a negative way after a conversation that we had had. And uh, I'm thankful that that person reached out to me and said, hey, you know, what's what's going on? Are, are we okay? And that really gave me the opportunity to talk about what my intent was in saying the things that I said and to clear the air, if you will, and to find out, you know, did you, did you how did you receive that? Did it come across as being uh, thoughtless or inconsiderate? And it gave them the opportunity to say, "No, actually, that's not how I read the situation at all. This is this is what I this is what I thought was going on." So it's it's a little it's just a little interaction there, but you can see how this could apply to a whole number of situations. The tragic reality is that when somebody does something that affects us in a negative way, we kind of jump to assuming that that person has negative intent that they meant. To cause this effect. It's called attribution theory. You might be familiar with it or want to look into it further. When we do an action, when we um, say something or do something that has a negative effect on somebody else, we tend to then um, think that it's a situation that led to that. It was an external circumstance that kind of made me or forced me into that situation. So there are these ways that our brains work that actually make it difficult sometimes to have clear and transparent communication or to come to an understanding with each other. So we don't have time to explore this in any great detail today, unfortunately, but hopefully even just that, that context is helpful as we think through some of the, the cognitive pieces that lead to conflict. And even knowing that our brains work this way and can, can trick us or deceive us, helps us to be humble as we're coming to others and we're exploring what's happening in any given situation. A really important aspect to communication and connection with others is taking a kind of radical responsibility, both for our actions as we come up to these uh, situations that we need to talk about with others, 
but also with our feelings and the effect that, that something has on us. You remember in a previous episode, as we talked about where do we have a kind of control? Like where, where is most of our influence? And we settled on the fact that at the best of times, we have control over ourselves, over our own reactions to things, about maybe how things even affect us or how we perceive them. And so in conflict scenarios, rather than looking to the other person and focusing primarily on them, it's really helpful to become clear with ourselves about our own participation in the conflict, both what we did to maybe lead to the conflict and also the effect that it had on us. And so there's a really helpful phrase that I want to um, pass on to you today, and that's, I feel when, because. It's a powerful setup. So I feel sad, or I feel hurt, or I feel offended, whatever it might be for you in a conflict scenario. I feel this way when, and then that gives you the opportunity to speak to a very specific action. Because sometimes we want to just leave things vague, but it makes it difficult for the other person to understand where we're coming from. So when you um, when you talk poorly about my work performance with colleagues, uh, like for instance, and then give maybe a specific example, um, and then you say why, why that's important to you. Because, for instance, I, I take pride in my work. And I really appreciate having a strong relationships with a strong relationship with my colleagues. So I feel when because can be a really helpful way to introduce a conversation because the focus again is on our own experience. And then we can kind of explore those other aspects with the person. So this requires a real courage. Um, I would call it a humble courage. Uh, a courage is born out of humility, not feeling like we have everything figured out, but having the courage to talk about it anyways, even before we have it figured out, to say, here's here's how I'm feeling, and and for these reasons, now can you help me walk through this? What, what does this look like from your perspective? We need to recognize our own limits, too, that we, we don't know everything. We have our own lack of awareness and our, our spots that we're just not uh, clear on. And sometimes it requires humble courage with someone else. So as I think about my colleague approaching me and just asking, you know, are we okay? Are you okay? Sometimes just opening with that question. I mean, they might say, yeah, we're fine. We're good. We're good. Um, but it might also be an opportunity to, to talk about some things that otherwise you wouldn't have the opportunity to do. And that requires a virtue of what I call quiet attentiveness just really taking the time to pay attention to others, to listen to them, to, to empathize with them, and to understand the feelings that are behind what they're talking about. Not only the, the surface level information, but also what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe even being open to a bit of their backstory in that situation. It's amazing to me how hard listening can be. Now I'm thinking here of, of active listening, of really engaging. It, it can take time to get to the bottom of something. And there are a few um, tips or tricks you can use to do this. Things like open-ended questions. So not asking questions that could be answered with a yes or no. But tell me more about 
how the situation affected you, for instance, is an open-ended question. Um, and that leads to maybe deeper conversations. Paraphrasing for someone. So they, uh, they've been talking for a while and repeating back to them a summary of what they've said, it really helps to communicate, yeah, I'm listening, I understand, I'm with you. We can move ahead because I'm already caught up to where you're at. Acknowledging feelings, and sometimes this won't be explicit. Sometimes we're not too self-aware of the feelings that uh, we're actually expressing. And so we have to look for things like nonverbal cues and behaviors to tap into what is this person going through. Now, this might be somewhat embarrassing. We might, so we might check in with someone on their feelings and say, it sounds like you were hurt when so-and-so said such-and-such or, or did such-and-such. Such. And they might come back and say, no, I mean, I was sad, but I wasn't hurt because I knew it wasn't their fault or whatever that looks like. So that can be a little hard to put ourselves on the line and, and make an assessment there, but it also gives the opportunity for the other person to check in and say, yes, absolutely, you're on track here, or no, that's not how I was feeling, and this is actually how I was feeling. Sometimes we continue to make those assumptions that we know what's going on and we know what the person is feeling without the opportunity for them to check in. So those are a few just different approaches we can take in active listening. And so often as, as a part of the, the Renew course, I'll give people an opportunity just to practice some of these things. You'd be surprised at how hard it is not to be jumping in all the time and kind of contributing our own comments and, and remarks. But those, those techniques can really help us to, to listen well. And it might just be talking about things like, um, you can even try this with someone that you know spend a few minutes just talking about what is one of their favorite trips or vacations. It's a, a light topic, but it's something that you can explore with them to practice open-ended questions or paraphrasing or acknowledging their feelings, looking for nonverbal cues. Uh, it's really helpful to do this in a low-pressure situation rather than in a high-pressure situation like a conflict. It takes time, it takes practice, but especially if we practice curiosity, and not judgment, it becomes this kind of habit that is not only renewing for ourselves, it doesn't only promote our own resilience, but it also promotes the resilience and renewal of everyone around us. They feel like they're heard, they're listened to, and you'll probably find that in turn they start practicing those things with you as well, being more empathetic and understanding to where you're coming from. There's a passage in Ephesians, thinking of my own Christian tradition. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16. It goes like this. It says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor of a body regularly. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how we are composed, how we come to be, not only by ourselves in kind of an independent and autonomous context, but in a really mutual and interdependent way. Sure, there are a lot of things we can do for our own self-care that maybe we can pay money for a, a course, or we can go off and exercise by ourselves. 
Um, and these things really fit into our current culture uh, where consumerism is kind of the norm and individuality is the norm. But there are these pieces as well where we're connected with one another and we take seriously the way that we are formed together in community. And self-care is incomplete without those pieces. I also love this phrase in here, we will speak the truth in love. We will speak the truth in love. Is that a commitment that you can make today to those around you? Maybe those you, you care for, who care for you, to speak the truth in love. Some of us have an easy time, it feels like, with the last part, where I'm not going to say that because it's not loving to say that. And and I get that. There are times and situations for that. But we do require that kind of humble courage where we, we own our truth. And it might be a small T truth. It might be a truth that we're holding for now because we don't have the bigger picture. Let's acknowledge that. Let's own that. And let's, it, let's bring it forward in a loving way that says that our relationship is too important to let this go. And I'm open to your perspective here. I want to hear from you. I want to engage with you. I recognize that even if we go through a conflict here, there's an opportunity behind that. But it will help us to, to grow. It'll help us to be healthy in our relationship, grow together as, as a body almost in supporting one another. Thanks again for joining me today. I hope you'll tune back in for the last episode of our Renew series. Be well and take good care. Thanks to James Palmer for lending his guitar talent to this project. You can follow him on Instagram at jamespalmernb or find his album Redwood on Spotify.